The reading's from Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 to 39. And if you're in the Church Bibles, that's page 1208. So Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, The Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days, after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but... My righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let's, uh, let's pray as we draw near to God in his word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who speaks And you speak to us through your word in the Bible by the power of your spirit. Um, That is a miraculous thing. And our Father, we all have different views on whether there is a God, who Jesus is, why he came, what it means to follow him. Please now, would you speak to us? Would we know personally that you are speaking to us by your spirit? And would you teach us the truth of Jesus for his name's sake? Amen. Well, she was the uh, most Googled person in the UK in 2017, the woman who's uh, sold 100 Scottish handbags. And on May the 19th, she's going to walk up the aisle of the Chapel Royal in Windsor 
and Meghan Markle will become a member of the royal family. Which is a, a, quite a change for the American actress, isn't it? So two years ago, I guess if she wanted to visit Buckingham Palace, she'd have to go online, like the rest of us, you know, and then queue up outside for the old guided tour. But uh, I don't know if the, the Queen watches Suits. I, I don't think so, probably. The, the, the TV show Meghan's on. So I expect when, when Harry first mentioned Meghan to her, she hadn't a clue who she was. But, but now, well, well, now she gets invited by Granny-in-law to come round for tea. And they fling open the gates of the palace when she's coming. You know, two years ago, if she wanted to spend an afternoon in the presence of royalty, I guess she'd have had to queue up behind those barriers like the rest of us, hoping that you know, the, the passing royal would come and briefly press flesh with you. But, but now, you know, if Harry's busy, she can always text Kate and say, do you want to go shopping or take the dogs for a walk? I mean, two, two years ago, if she wanted to attend a, a royal event, well, she'd have had to wait for an invite and then go through security check after security check to get in. But now she's the one doling out the invites, and she's got her own security detail. See, marrying into the royal family totally changes your life. But, but all those changes, those privileges, they've only come about not because of who Meghan Markle is, but because of who Prince Harry is. She's gained them because she's going to be joined to Harry as his wife. Now, what we've been doing over the last few weeks uh, here at church is we've been looking at the privilege Jesus brings to those who are joined to him, to Christians. Privileges that only come to us because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, what we do here week by week is we, we work through books of the Bible, and it just so happens we're at Hebrews ten nineteen this week. And Hebrews is, is a book of the Bible that's it's more of a sort of talk than a book. It describes itself as a word of encouragement, of exhortation. It was written to some first century Christians, and it looks like they come from a Jewish background, and they now believe that Jesus was their Messiah who had come to rescue them. And the message this morning, if, if you're a Christian, is this. It's going to show us why keeping going with Jesus makes sense, even when it's tough. But of course, if, if you're not a Christian here this morning, it, it's great that you've come because this is a passage that shows us why following Jesus makes sense at all. And we're going to see three things. Here's the first one. We're going to see the privileges Jesus gives. Just, just look back to that Bible passage in verse 19, the little number 19 there. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... You might be thinking, what was this talk of holy places and, and blood? There's been a lot of blood in church this morning. Well, if you were an Old Testament Jew, there was one thing you would never do, and that was enter the most holy place. It, it was the room at the heart of the temple in Jerusalem, the room where God symbolically dwelt. And you knew that because God was perfect and pure and good, and because you were imperfect and impure and had done bad things, you could never go into that room, into his presence. In fact, only one man went in there, the high priest, and he only went in once a year, and he only went in after he'd sacrificed a bull for his own sin, for his own impurity and disobedience. And that was all a simple message. The message was this, that if you went into God's presence, all you could look forward to was death. But, but now, the writer of the Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And he's not talking about a room in a, in a building in Jerusalem. No, he's talking about the real holy place where God dwells, where God is. 
In fact, the writers just spent three chapters in Hebrews explaining how Jesus' death on the cross was what all those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to. All those bulls and those goats and those sheep. They were a picture that something had to die for your wrongdoing, your sin, to be forgiven so you could enjoy God's presence. And that picture is fully fulfilled in the death of Jesus at the cross. That the reality is the Son of God shedding his blood to take the punishment that humanity deserves for the way we have treated God. Now, the most holy place was shut off from the rest of the temple by a huge curtain. A bit like our curtain back here, but it wasn't sort of covering all the junk we can't find anywhere else to put. It was covering the most holy place. And it it was about twice as high, and it was as thick as my hand. And that curtain was a a massive no-entry sign. It sort of said, sinners not welcome. But when Jesus dies in, in the accounts of his life... We read that that curtain in the middle of the temple was torn in two miraculously from top to bottom. See, as Jesus' body is torn in two, that the barrier that separates us from God's presence is torn in two fully and finally. And therefore, we can enjoy knowing God. More than that, because Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, Hebrews has shown us that we now have a representative on our behalf with God forever. There's not a moment of any day when we don't relate to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? Well, it comes in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We're to rejoice that we can come into God's presence. We don't have to come in fearfully, hoping that that he won't remember the the ways that we've failed him over the last week. We, We don't have to pretend that we're better than we are, sort of lowering his standards so that we can keep them. We don't have to perform any religious ritual, crossing ourselves in the right way or or finding a priest to stand between us and God. No, Jesus has done all that. We can come with a sincere heart. Literally, the words are a heart of truthfulness. We can come to God just as we are, just as you find yourself this morning. Whatever you feel about yourself, whatever shame or guilt you have, you can come to God just as you are. There's no pretending with God anyway. Yet we can come fully assured. We can come certain he will accept us. Why? Well, the verse tells us. Because Jesus has washed us clean once and for all. We're washed on the inside from the guilt we feel, a guilty conscience. And washed on the the outside so we appear completely clean before God. Now, now, that's a status Jesus gives us. It's not that I'm completely clean before God. It's, it's not that you're completely clean before God because of who you are and what you do. No, we know we're still a mess. But we're completely clean before God because of who Jesus is and what he's done. He has cleansed us by giving his perfect life in our place. So God sees us now with the perfection of Jesus. So draw near to God. Actively rejoice that you live your life day by day, moment by moment, in the presence of God. And you might think, well, why is that such great news? Well, because he's the source of all life. 
Because he's the source of all love in creation. Because everything that is good and pure and kind comes from his being. That is what you're drawing near to. But because the Bible says he's a father with his arms outstretched to embrace you as you come. It says he's like a a shepherd who's going to pick you up like a lamb and carry you close to his heart as you struggle in life. It says he's like a mighty warrior who stands over you and defends you from anything that would attack you. Draw near to this God. Consciously. Daily. Rejoicing that you can come into his presence. Coming to him in prayer. At any time. Any place. If you're old enough, I always talk about Jesus as the martini. Anywhere, anytime, any place, you can come to God. Coming to him in his word, in the Bible. Seeing precious promises, words from him. Now, that's the first privilege. That we have the presence of God in the present at any time. We can just walk into the very heart of heaven. Here's the second privilege that Jesus gives. It comes in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It's the promise of God for the future. Now, now hope is a word we use when we're, we're talking about something we're not sure of. You know, so we're all hoping, aren't we, the weather forecast is right for next week. We're hoping it's going to be a nice week next week. Spitefully, it's coming when everyone goes back to school and work, but that's what it's going to be, sunny next week. We hope, but we don't know for sure. But hope in the Bible is different. Hope in the Bible is something good God has promised us in the future, And it's absolutely certain. Do you see why? What it says at the end of verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, God has never failed to keep one of his promises. You can bank on what he says. And what he's promised for the Christian is that hope is being with Jesus forever. Whether death takes you there or whether the day he returns to judge the world and and take his people to be with him, whichever you experience first, you will go to be with Jesus forever. And you can trust him. He's never failed to keep a promise. Hold fast to that promise. Now, now one of the privileges and sadnesses of my job is is you get to spend time with, with people who are drawing close to the end of their lives. And I think one thing that that all people drawing close to the end of their lives share in common is change of perspective. For a lot of people, life suddenly seems quite short and death suddenly seems like a very long time. And for those who know Christ, that is a beautiful thing. Oh, oh, death's an enemy, don't get me wrong. Death is a dreadful thing. It robs us of the people we love. But for the people we love who know Jesus, it's about a forever future with him. It's about a precious promise. Often people, towards the end of their lives, when they think of that promise, they they wonder, why didn't I not draw closer to God more often in this life if I'm going to spend forever with him? The presence of God in the present, the promise of God for the future, and here's the third privilege, the people of God for each other. Because as we read those verses, did, did you notice that it's all about what we do? Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to our certain hope. And so we read in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. God has given us the privilege of each other. In together, we experience 
his presence. Together we hold fast to his promise. Together we encourage each other to live lives knowing his love and loving others and doing the right thing. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, your purpose is to help everyone else here. I wonder if that's what you felt as you came out of the car park. You, You are coming to help everyone else here be encouraged in the Lord to know his love and to do good deeds. Is that what you're thinking at the moment? How can I help the people around me? Because that's the huge privilege we have. Isn't that a privilege? You're here amongst about 400 people whose God-given job is to love you and to help you know God's love better and to encourage you. And your enormous privilege is your job is to love them and encourage them and help them do the right thing. That there's no club on earth like the church. United by God's love to demonstrate his love to one another and to then show his love to the world and to help each other to do it. Not that that's always easy. Did you see the word used in verse 24? Spur one another on. Sometimes we need a bit of, you know, jab in the ribs like an uncommunicative, unhelpful horse to do love and good deeds. A bit of a, get on with it. Sometimes we have to love people enough to say, come on, you need to do this. But we do need to keep encouraging one another. Did you see why in verse 25? Not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, God's given us each other so we keep going until the day we stand before Jesus. When we see him face to face, the day the Bible says he returns. I can guarantee you that on that day, The only thing you will care about is loving him, loving other people, and whether you've done good deeds. Everything else on your to-do list at the moment will have evaporated on that day. That's the only thing you can care about on that day. And so the writer says, keep encouraging each other in the light of that day. Now, as Christians, we've been terribly affected by our consumer culture. So more often than not, we we go to things because of what we get out of them rather than what we can give in to them but but actually the reason we have church is to come together to serve each other it's in the name really isn't it what do we call this a service that that's what it's about loving and serving one another and i guess if we had this right if we realize that yes we can draw near to god at any time but we do it in a special way when we gather as his people a tangible reality that we experience more as we come together, then we'd think it was a dreadful thing to meet any, miss any opportunity to meet with them, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd, we'd think, oh, why would I want to miss that if I can meet with God's people and encourage others? Be encouraged myself. The presence of God in the present, the promise of God for the future, the people of God for each other today. That's the life, the privileged Jesus brings. Do you see why it's a great life? Did you see the words used to describe it? It's it's a life where you draw near to God. A life of sincerity, of assurance, of a clean conscience, of a certain hope. A life of love and good deeds. A life of encouragement. That's the Christian life. I was uh, reading the front cover of Hello in Lidl. I was at the far end counter with the magazines. Reading the front cover as I was queuing up, um, it was the usual thing, two aisles, 3,000 people trying to get out. And on it, there was Meghan Markle again, and it was telling me about Meghan's wedding boot camp. Apparently, Meghan's had to take herself off to get fitter to get married into the royal family for, for the big day. And let's, let's be honest, if she's half as nice as she appears to be, 
you can sort of see why Harry's marrying her, can't you? You know? But, and when they're interviewed, they're clearly in love, aren't they? They're just sort of all fuddy-duddy, cuddly-wuddy on the sofa. They're clearly in love. But, but that's not like our relationship with God. You see, the, the Christian doesn't bring a, a kind, loving personality to the Lord. No, we bring lives filled with lack of love for God, filled with our failure, our shame, our guilt, our filth. That's the life we bring to God. And if you, if you don't think that's you, well, let, let me ask you this then. Would you be happy for everyone, or maybe even anyone here, to know everything you'd ever done and said? Are you confident you're clean on the outside of your life? Or, or would you be happy for anyone or everyone here to know everything you'd ever thought or felt? Are you confident you're clean on the inside of your life? No, of course we're not. I'm absolutely not confident that I'm clean. And yet God so loves us that through the death of his precious son, he cleanses us so we're a people who walk confidently into the throne room of heaven and enjoy the loving presence of our Father now and forever. There's no more privileged life. But you need to understand this life is not an optional extra. It's not a a bonus feature that you can add on, if you wish, the sort of heated seats of life. No, this is a life we desperately need. Jesus is one we desperately need, and that's because the alternative is dreadful. It's the second thing this passage shows us. It's the punishment rejecting Jesus brings. Look at verse 26. If you're a guest here today, you must have thought, I've come for a bit of a nightmare here. Look at verse 26. If we keep, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, that doesn't mean when you become a Christian, you're supposed to become perfect. You know, never sin again. Now, the Bible talks about the Christian life as a battle against sin. That's certainly my experience of the Christian life. It's a daily struggle where I fail and keep having to rely on Jesus' death for me. No, this is the person who decides Jesus isn't for me. Uh, They choose to turn their backs on him. They, They won't follow him. And the writer says, if you won't follow Jesus, there is no other place that you'll find a sacrifice for your sin. Only he deals with the issue that God has with you. And so he can say in verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Pope Francis got into a bit of trouble last week for potentially suggesting that hell might not be everything that people thought it was. But of course, if you think of hell as little devils with pitchforks prodding you while you're roasting over a spit. Of course it's a joke. But but the Bible never makes it into a joke. The, The Bible simply says that if you reject the God of love, the one who gives you life, he will hold you to account and he will punish you for that. The writer illustrates it in verse 28. He says, look, you remember God's law in the Old Testament, the law of Moses? You only required two or three witnesses, and then you were put to death if you broke that law. And so, verse 29, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? 
It's a threefold rejection of God's love. Son, blood, spirit. Uh, last century, John Griffiths was in the early days of the railroad in the United States, uh, a bridge operator of the Mississippi. And uh, one day during the school holidays, he took his son, Greg, eight-year-old, along to work with him. Uh, they watched as uh, he watched as his dad open the bridge from the observation tower. A big ship passed through. They had some lunch together, uh, sort of a picnic, family picnic. And then at one o'clock, John heard the, the whistle for the, the Memphis Express coming. And he just looked around, you know, as you're a parent, you've been busy, you look around, and he couldn't see where Greg was. And I, I'm horrified hearing the approaching train. He looked out of the observation tower, and he saw his son, who'd been playing in the workings of the bridge, and he'd fallen, and he was trapped within the, the cogs that were used to open and close the bridge. The Memphis Express was approaching. There was no way John could get to his son, and he had a decision to make. Either he lowered the bridge... And the boy would be crushed within its mechanism. Or he let the train plunge into the river. And hundreds of people would die. And tears streaming down his face, he put his hand over his eyes and he pulled the lever to lower the bridge. Now what would you do if you were one of the people on that train? And a few weeks later you met John Griffiths. And you knew what he'd, he'd done for you. Well, what would you say to him? Well, um, just haven't got time to speak to you at the moment. I'm too busy. <laughs> got a lot on. Oh, John, you needn't have bothered, mate. Could have sorted it out myself. Or you just ignore him. Just ignore him. You know? That, that's a tiny taste of, of the insult to God of rejecting Jesus. Did you see verse 29 again? It's to trample the Son of God underfoot. It's to treat his blood shed for you as just an ordinary thing. It's to insult the Spirit of God who opens people's minds so they can understand his grace, his love for them. And then we wonder why God has promised that those who reject Jesus will face his punishment. And, and, and there is a warning here even for us if, if we call ourselves Christians. Did you see it comes in, in verse 30? For we know him who said, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's possible to say, I'm a Christian, and still pay no attention to God whatsoever. See, God punishes sin. And the only way, the only way to be free from that is through the blood of Jesus. The only way to avoid going to hell is through the blood of Jesus. Or to put it the other way around, which is what the writer does here. He says, no, the only way to go to hell is to trample over the Son of God who bled and died for you. So don't treat God lightly because it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, why are these shocking verses here? Is it, is it that God wants us to live in fear day by day? No. The writers have told us, you've got confidence. You've got boldness. You can come to your loving Heavenly Father at any time. My son has died to wash you totally clean. So don't reject Jesus. He's done it all. You're not to be fearful. You're to be confident. Now, you might think, if those are the stakes, why, why would anyone ever reject Jesus? Well, it's the last thing we see here briefly, it's the perseverance Jesus requires. 
You see, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you actually follow the one who, though he led a perfectly good life, was hated for it. Though he only ever showed love to other people, they in the end crucified him for it. And the the Jewish Christians who first heard Hebrews, they've been having a pretty rough time of it. We see that in verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you've received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. It's like a catalogue of being robbed of everything that the world thinks is important. That they were publicly exposed. You know, humiliated, ridiculed before people. Popularity smashed, status gone. We live, don't we, for the opinion of others of us. And following Jesus had just got others to, to mock them incessantly. Worse than that, it looks like the authorities have confiscated their possessions. All those material goods that they've been investing in and worked hard for, they've been whipped away. But, but they kept going. They were willing to stand with those in prison even. They, they responded joyfully to, to their stuff being taken. Why? Well, it says at the end of verse 34, because you know that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. It's because that future God had promised. A perfect future with him. The, the ultimate treasure of living in his presence, of only knowing love and goodness and kindness for eternity, of being greeted by Jesus as a, a good and faithful servant. But, but now, in the struggle of this world, they're in real danger of packing it in. The heat's getting turned up for following Jesus. And so the writer says, keep going, verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. We had the classic driving back from North Wales last week. Our six-year-old Bronwyn, one hour into a five-hour journey. Are we in Chessington yet? And then a little bit later, this was what really surprised me. She went, it looks like Chessington. We were going through a valley with these beautiful mountains up on either side. Gorgeous countryside into the distance. Now, I know Winnie Hill's quite high and quite attractive. But it, as far as I can see, unless I've missed something, there is nowhere in Chessington that looks like North Wales. So I had to be honest. No, there's a very long time to go. But, but look at verse 37. How long are we going to have to wait? In a little while, just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Literally, it says a very, very little. It's a very, very little. It might feel like a long time to us, but compared to eternity, it really isn't a long time since Jesus promised that he would return to take his people to be with him. He's not held up. He will come. And the way to be right with him on that day is to still be trusting in him when he comes. Not not to shrink back from being a Christian, but to keep going. Did you see that the writer's confident of that? Verse 39, but we who do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to know following Jesus can be hard work. Don't, don't get me wrong, there is no greater privilege. But not everyone will think it's a great idea that you've become a Christian. Family might think you've, you've just got a bit too religious. Work colleagues might think that you're not so much fun anymore. In our culture, some of the things the Bible teaches, they're seen as not just being out of date, but, but being offensive. There is a cost to following Christ. 
but it's worth it. It's so worth it. Because there is no more privileged life than knowing God through Jesus. And there is no more terrible punishment than rejecting the God who's loved you in his son. So if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, I'd love afterwards to to chat to you. You know, you can draw near to God today. Whatever you've, you've brought with you, Jesus will take it for you. You can be cleansed of anything and everything today if you'll draw near to God. Or perhaps you just want to think about things some more. There's, there's a useful set of literature at the back there. There's a little booklet called The Real Jesus. Maybe come along to the quiz night or, or the King and I course. Come and ask your questions. It is the most privileged life, the life that Jesus gives. And what of us who are Christians? Well, we've got to persevere. We've, we've got to keep going. How do we do that? Together. It's not, it's not a solo sport. Yeah, it's a team game. We're here for each other. And so hold fast your hope. Think about how you can encourage others to love and good deeds. And don't stop meeting together because it is the most privileged life that we have to draw near to God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that we come with confidence now. Confidence because Jesus went through hell for us on the cross. Because he died our death. He took our punishment. And so we come cleansed, assured, certain of your blessing, your goodness, your love, your kindness towards us now and every moment of every day until we experience those things fully when we are with Jesus face to face. Our Father, please write these realities so deeply upon our hearts that some of our worries, our fears would begin to evaporate and our greatest desire would be to do what is right by you and to encourage one another in knowing your love and making your love known for Jesus' name's sake. Amen.